was a little girl, I was desperately afraid of the dark. I still am, to some degree. I've grown out of it a little bit, but I still have my fears of the dark. I don't know why that was. I was a very light sleeper, and I, my imagination would go wild. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, and I could see things moving in the crack of the closet, you know, closet door and things like that. And I was also, and I am, very, very nearsighted. So it didn't help that I couldn't actually see all that well. <laughs> so, so uh, oh, when I was in early elementary school, I, I woke up one night and desperately needed to go to the restroom, which was only a few steps away from my bedroom. But it meant I had to get out of the bed and cross a little bit of the bedroom and get to the hall and then into the bathroom where I could turn on the light but there was a light in the hallway. Now, my mother had been vacuuming that day, and there was a plug in the light, and she had plugged the vacuum cleaner into the light, so I, I screwed up all my courage, and I got out of bed, and I, I leaped across the bedroom and got to the hall and lunged for the light, and the vacuum cleaner went, <laughs> and I I screamed bloody murder and forgot about going having to go to the bathroom and jumped back in bed. And I could hear my mom laughing. <laughs> oh my word, my word, my word. The truth is, even in our adult lives, we have fears. We carry them inside us. And sometimes we suppress them so much that we don't even know that we have our fears. This series uh, is about the ending of summer, summer endings, and what we're planning. Some of us are planning last minute vacations before we get back into the routine of the fall. Some of us are maybe planning a couple of days away or a staycation. We might be uh, just planning a quiet Saturday afternoon, right? And some of us may even be taking some time to step back as we enter this new fall season and do some reflecting, some contemplation, some Sabbath. But however it is that we come to this time, the truth is that before we can ever make a good trip, before we can ever really do reflection and contemplation, is we've got to get rid of the baggage we're carrying. And, and I dare say that one of the biggest baggage baggages that most of us carry is fear. And fear produces anxiety and makes us look at things as being scarce rather than abundant. And that fear can get lodged so deep in us we don't even know it's there. And so um, I got to thinking about that when I get ready for a trip, I'm usually doing it at the last minute, so I gather everything that I think I might need while I'm away, which when you're going on a long trip, that's a lot. And, you know, anything that I might miss. Any, I forget that there's stores in other countries. I forget that there's places you can go and get things if you're going down to Galveston, you know. And so I try to think of every possible thing and cram it into my bag to where I can hardly lift it. It's so heavy or I have to have multiple bags. A bag for shoes, a bag for makeup, a bag for clothes, a bag for dirty clothes. I mean, you know, the whole thing, right? 
I know y'all are laughing because y'all do this too. But, um, you know, I, I got to thinking about that. And, and instead, it might be just good to think about what I don't need instead of everything I do need. You know, sometimes we weigh ourselves down with all the baggage, right? And that's part of this. The metaphor makes sense, doesn't it? As we prepare for these last days of summer, we might do well to assess our inner baggage, what we carry in our hearts, what possesses our minds, what gnaws at our souls. And I do think of all the baggage that we carry in today's society and culture, the one that weighs us down the most is fear. In today's uh, culture, there may be no greater baggage than our fears, with those fears leading to anxiety, and that can short-circuit even our best effort at being our best self. And also, when we're getting ready, when we get to this liminal space, the threshold, getting ready to step into a new, new season or new school year or the fall or go on a last-minute trip or have a weekend getaway, um, it's easy to think about all the things that can go wrong. You know, what we are unfamiliar with. What we don't know is going to happen. Worries about a bad experience. What happens if? What happens when? Uh, a bad experience, a whole collection of possible fears. Flying, that's enough right there. Um, getting injured while you're away. Language barriers, unknown foods. Oh, that's not good. Well, it could be good. Uh, climbing to the top of a water slide. And what happens on the way down? Uh, swimming with dangerous fish, being attacked by an animal while camping, getting robbed. I mean, I could go on and on. Uh, I'm good at this <laughs> catastrophic thinking, I just want to say. I'm real good at that. Fear can suck the joy out of what is before you. New beginnings, new trips. And let's be honest. There are fears we carry all year long. The fear of failing, fear of dying, fear of the future, fear of repeating the past, fear of particular people, fear of not having enough. And sometimes our behaviors serve as a mask to cover that up. Today's second lesson from the book of Psalms offers us a glimpse into the life of King David and reminds us that even kings, powerful kings, powerful warrior kings can be desperately afraid. The song that we heard today attributed to David was clearly written under circumstances of great distress. The heading, one of the three of this psalm, tells us that the song was composed upon David being seized by the Philistines in Gath. He was fleeing from Saul, who wanted to kill him, and had wound up in Gath and discovered there that the king did not like him there either. And so he was seized, and clearly he has physical enemies. 
but he also has emotional enemies. He says, people trample on me all day long, foes oppress me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many fight against me. And he says, they stir up strife, they lurk, they, they watch my steps, they want to kill me. You know, he, these enemies are real, but these emotional enemies are powerful too. He says, you, O oh God, have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your record? David is sleepless. You hear that? He's tossing. He's turning. And you know what that's like to wake up in the night and to toss and turn. David is so distraught, he is weeping. Though he initially acknowledges that God has collected his tears, then he second-guesses himself and says, Are my tears not in your record? Have you ever done that? You've confessed to God, Oh, you have me. Are you sure you have me? Uh, this is a very human kind of thing. David, the great warrior king of Israel, has been brought to his knees by his fears. And who among us has not experienced fears that have brought us to our knees? You see, we have physical enemies too. Those who want to limit our freedoms, those who want to tear apart our democracy, those who care nothing about preserving the environment, those who do nothing to protect our children from gun violence. And we also have emotional fears. And those fears lead to anxieties about our health, about the safety of our families, the scarcity of our financial resources, and the scarcity of love, of hope, of life, and the certainty of death. We, like David, may turn to God hoping that God collects our tears, but second-guessing our faith. Now, here's what's interesting. For some, the fear and anxiety produces results, behaviors, of self-medicating with alcohol, drugs, sex, shopping, often resulting in a downward cycle that does more to perpetuate our fears than to free us from them. The wise people among us work to identify, identify their fears so they can process them rather than run from them. And, uh, you know, like my good friend and Enneagram master teacher, Suzanne Stabile says, everybody needs a therapist and a spiritual director and there will be peace on earth. <laughs> because we carry these things with us, and we need other people often to help us figure out what that is. So here's a question for you. Is it possible, could it be possible for fear and faith to occupy the mind at the same time? We are often in a twilight place where light and darkness are both present. And sometimes it's hard to tell which is winning. But both our scriptures readings remind us that there are ways to set down our baggage of fear, anxiety, and scarcity. David, even in, in second-guessing God, turns to words of appeal, praise, and thanksgiving. He says, be gracious to me, O God. That's his appeal. Be, that's an opening appeal. Be gracious to me. And his praise, this I know, that you, O God, are for me. And his thanksgiving, for you, O God, have delivered my soul from death. Notice, he doesn't say my life from death. My very soul, all that is within me, he has 
you have saved me from. The death that is here and now in this time and place. Each of these, his appeal, his praise, his thanksgiving is about trusting God. That there is a God. That God is with him and for him. Now, to make an appeal to God, even if you're saying, yeah, I'm not believing in God right now. Mm Mm-mm. No. I'm done. I'm done with God. To make an appeal is to affirm God, right? By whatever name or by no name. It's to appeal. It's to say that I know there is something greater within me and beyond me. So, like David, Paul holds this tension. Now, it's important to know that the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Philippi from prison. From prison. He was imprisoned in Rome, or Ephesus, they think, about the year 62 of the Common Era, what we call in the church Anno Domine, which is the year of our Lord. And is probably expecting that he will be executed by the state. So, like David... Paul holds this tension of fears in tandem with his faith and writes, Rejoice in God always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. God is near. One must wonder if he is writing to himself. You know, I'll tell you something. I'm just going to tell you this little thing. Every sermon a preacher preaches is to themselves. I mean, all the time we preach to ourselves. And hopefully a little bit of it ekes out and helps those who are listening. One must wonder if he is writing to himself. Even in the direst circumstances, he gives the Philippians and even us a formula for for confronting our fears and anxieties. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Put your heart, your mind, your soul, your very being into focus on these things. And, you know, um, and, and that's exactly what Paul is doing. Years ago, when we first were starting New Church, we did a book club study of Brian McLaren's book, Naked Spirituality, A Life with God in 12 Simple Words. Well, it was a great book. A lot of his books are really good. In the book, McLaren described how he would often wake up in the middle of the night and be filled with anxiety. I'm going to tell you, he was waking up at 3 a.m. because that's when everybody wakes up with anxiety. So he, he was waking up, and not able to go to sleep, filled with anxiety about the future, about the world, about life, about whatever. And Brian, who I have great respect for as a theologian and writer, um, he, he said he finally found a prayer that helped ease his anxiety and brought him quickly back to sleep and rest. He would pray, here I am, here you are, Here we are together. And he would repeat that prayer over and over until he had a sense of the presence of God. And then he would fall asleep and rest. Here I am. Here you are. Here we are together. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. Rejoice. 
God is near. So what is your greatest fear right now? Think about that. What is causing you your greatest amount of anxiety? And what would it be like? No fear of life, aging or death, disease or hunger, no fear of any person or creature, not even the loss of all your possessions. What would that be like? As you prepare for your summer-ending trips or plans and the new beginnings of the new season ahead, I invite you to set down this baggage. Set it down. Bring your sorrows, your pain, your fears, your heartaches, your anxiety. Lay them down. When we take time to process our fears, it will be easier to let go of this baggage that we carry, and that weighs us down. Years ago, in 1989, years ago in a galaxy far, far away, (laughs) in 1989 to be exact, there was an American lifestyle clothing brand called No Fear Incorporated. I don't know if y'all remember that. Great t-shirts, No Fear. Well, but this brand was geared toward Uh, and associated with extreme sports, that people that were doing these extreme sports had no fear. But I thought it was a great idea for faith. No fear. Do you hear that? No fear. Do you know that if you do a Bible word search of the word afraid in the New Testament, you will discover that the words be not afraid appear 28 times. Oh, and by the way, in all of Scripture, both the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament Scriptures, be not afraid appears 85 times. So David, knowing that, can say with confidence, this I know that you, O God, are for me. And Paul assures us that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you get that? I mean, oh my gosh. We have a God who is with us. So, say it with me. I am not afraid. Ready? I am not afraid. Feel better, don't you? I know you do. Because there is healing power in those words. No fear. No fear. No fear. Thanks be to God. Amen.